We'll give the chapel kids a chance to be dismissed. I don't know if I have any more voice after belting it out this much. That was excellent. Thank you. I, um, I'm scrolling through uh, my Photos app. It's, uh, it's, uh, I use Google Photos. And um, I just realized, you know, don't we all just love looking and sharing photos? Right? Well, think about the business Instagram. It's a, it's a whole business built on just sharing photos. Most of us, though, I mean, we don't probably use Instagram. Some of the uh, old folks, like myself, too, use Facebook, right? It's what the young people use. But we have a lot of photos in our apps, and those are usually photos of the ones that we love. So Sinan and I, we look at Google Photos because that's where we store. They had free storage up until June. And it reminds us of the years and how things have changed. We have terabytes of photos in there. In fact, sometimes we like looking at videos because those are photos in action, right? Before we had apps, we had home videos, you know, pop in those VHS tapes, and some of you cool ones had Betamax, right? And you reminisce of the good old times. Sometimes we open photo albums, actual photo albums, and you look at the trips you went on, I remember when I was young, I would look at wedding photos. Our kids saw our wedding photos for the first time this year. Um, birthdays, newborn photos, wonderful memories that they bring to us, isn't it? However, most of us who are parents look at certain kinds of photos the most. And we look at photos of our kids. Photos of little versions of us. Photos of little versions of us. You might be able to understand this too if you don't have kids. Photos of little humans that look like people we know. And videos, they tell us that a lot of our quirks and our characteristics have been combined and recombined in different bodies at various degrees. Right? To keep it simple, what really delights us is seeing walking and talking versions of mom and dad in these little kids. Maybe even walking and talking versions of grandma and grandpa in these little ones. They delight us because they look a lot like us. And in some ways, carry a piece of who we are wherever they go. We had considered Ephesians chapter 2, and we looked at how God took people that were dead in sins and trespasses and made us alive and made us part of his family. Yet, we know that a lot of our lives, the videos, if I could call them that, don't often look a whole lot like they belong in the family of God, right? In God's family photo album. If the Lord were to have a photo app, just imagine with me, whose picture or video would he be looking at? Which ones would he want to keep looking at? And we all know that the only one that delights the Father is God the Son, the one who looks just like him.
The one whose life is the video that God loves to look at over and over repeatedly, if I could use the metaphor. So as those that are part of God's family, how can we as individuals and as a community look more like Jesus Christ? Because it's his photos and videos that God delights in, isn't it? How does this family photo, the family photo of Westmount Bible Chapel, look a lot more like Jesus Christ, the one that delights God? And so today's sermon is titled, Picture Perfect. And we're going to open up God's word to answer that question. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. We're going to find out how each one of us, and together as God's family, here on Clonsilla Avenue, can look more like the image, the photo that God loves, his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to have three simple points. The first one is conformity. The second one is love. And the third, glory. Three simple points. Conformity, love, glory, and then how we can apply this text. All right? So quick recap. I don't speak often here, so some of you might not have heard Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2. We're already in the middle of the book. So we've been considering God's grand plan in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians. In chapter 1, we see that God is to be praised because he has a grand plan to set all things in right relation to Jesus Christ. This includes everything that is seen and unseen. Paul uses the phrase, in heaven and on earth. And what he means is that God is putting in order every angel and every demon, every planet and every pumpkin, every asteroid and every amoeba, and every human being in their rightful place under Christ. Everything will end up exactly as God designed, and to that end, every molecule, every molecule is in motion towards God's grand plan. Christ will be ruler over all, and everything will have its due place under Christ. And guess what? The church is ground zero for this cosmic movement. And God has done this by uniting the church with Christ and has declared to every resistance and every stronghold that has set itself up against God that there's not, there's no stopping this plan. They can look at the church to see the plan of God at work. So these principalities, powers, rulers, and authorities, spiritual forces that resist submission to Christ will see God's glory made manifest in the world through the church. This also implies that those of us in this audience that are not under the Lordship of Christ will also witness this, and you're witnessing it right now on Clonsilla Avenue at Westmont Bible Chapel. This gathering is your view, your front row seat to God's declaration of his glorious plan. In chapter 2, Paul describes God's rich grace and mercy exercised toward us sinners. We that are under the lordship of Christ have found ourselves in the church because of God's work in uniting us with Christ. And therefore Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension are as though you and I died, were buried, 
rose from the dead, and now sit in his presence, in God's presence in heaven. This was amplified in the fact that Ephesian believers were a lot like us. They were Gentiles. They had no connection, and we had no connection, with the covenants and promises that God made with Israel. We were saved by the sacrifice of a Christ that we had never hoped in. We were brought near by the blood sacrifice that our people and our forefathers had never heard of as Gentiles. We had been made equal partners, co-heirs, as we had read today, of God's family. Much more, Gentiles and Jews together access God in a new humanity, a new body that Christ made. Christ is the head and the church is his body. On top of that, Paul used the metaphor of bricks being shaped together, being fit together to be built into a temple. We are bricks being fit together to be built into a temple. And God chooses to live here through his Holy Spirit. So this community is not only a demonstration to the cosmic forces, but this gathering is the very home of God the Father, and this is his family. In the same way, one had to travel all the way to Israel in the past to be in proximity to God's presence. This gathering brings God's presence in proximity to Clonsilla Avenue. We are spiritually gathered around the throne of God. At the same time, God is spiritually present in this gathering here today. In the first part of chapter 3, Paul talks about the reason for his circumstances. And he models the reality of God's work in the ministry of the church. Paul tells us that in ministry, it is God who is the actor, and he enables and empowers us to glorify him in the church. So you, believer, saint, are given grace and empowered for great things of cosmic impact. You may feel weak. You may feel powerless. You may feel unrecognized. You may feel insignificant. But through your weakness the divine actor, God himself, will manifest his power. So every movement politically, environmentally, missionally, spiritually, physically, every molecule in this universe is moving towards a time when God's grand plan will come to fruition in Christ. And in this movement, God applies his grace to each and every believer in the church as we fulfill His role, we fulfill our role in his plan. So you, believer, are a part of this plan. And the paradox is that as weak and as least as you may feel in all of this, God is empowering you in the ministry that he has entrusted you with. Paul continues in chapter 3 to describe the prayer that he has for his audience. That's what we're going to look at today. For his audience in the local church at Ephesus. Remember, this is Paul's prayer But also every word is inspired by God. So this is also God telling us what he's doing. It's not just a prayer, but God telling us what he's doing. Considering God's cosmic plan, considering the work he has done in the past through Jesus Christ to bring the Ephesian believers to the point in time they read this letter, and in light, dear Westmount Bible Chapel, considering all that has happened in history, This cosmic plan has brought you to this point on October 17th, 2021. 
So let us consider the first point, conformity. Let's read Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 16. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Paul continues here and uses the same words from verse 1. If chapter 3, verse 1, you see the phrase, for this reason. So he digresses and he comes back and he says, for this reason. So he's describing his prayer because of God's great work in chapter 1 and 2. This reason is chapter 1 and chapter 2. He prays this prayer because the church is the temple of God. He prays this prayer because the church is the household of God. He prays this prayer because God graciously saved these believers from the domain or the dominion of the prince of the power of the air. He prays this because God's purpose and plan of creating one new humanity in Christ, this prayer is none other than a response and reaction to God's sovereign work to reconcile all things under Christ his son, Jesus Christ. This is profound because everything we think, everything we do, everything we say, even our prayers, are all a response to God's sovereign work. And this sovereignty is what gives Paul's intercession the weight that it has. So what what is Paul interceding for over here? Paul's first petition is that the Father grants power. So he's already prayed in previous chapters that the believers' hearts would be illuminated with the knowledge of God. But Paul's Paul's petition is much more direct. He prays that God the Father would strengthen them inwardly through his Spirit. Why would they need to be strengthened? Paul had just told them that his chains and his suffering was not for their discouragement. So these believers need to be strengthened by the power of God. Note, there's a passive voice, to be strengthened. They're not to strengthen themselves or be strong by themselves. This is the power of God. This is so that they won't be discouraged by the sufferings of Paul the Apostle, much more that their reaction to his personal suffering would also not lead to discouragement. The strength that these believers need to be the household of God, to be the family of God, to be the church of God, to be the ministers of God in suffering, is a strength and power that is granted by the Father. Now note the words that God gave Paul to use. According to the riches of his glory. Do you see that? According to the riches of his glory. It doesn't say out of the riches of his glory. God isn't going to grant power out of the riches of his glory. The word according to means in proportion to the riches of his glory. When I started working my first full-time job, I continued to live in the same residence I had lived in when I was a college student. I lived on the same budget, and I ate the same food, pizza. (laughs) When we got married... Our household, Sinan and I got married, our household income changed because two jobs, right? So we moved into a nice condo, we bought nice furniture, we bought a car, 
I wasn't going to take Mississauga Transit anymore, right? So when our careers grew and we made more money, we were able to buy a house, get nicer things for the house, and make more trips to see people and places. We then had our oldest, Zoe, and we were back to one job, one income, and our lifestyle shrank. Much more than when we moved to Dallas, we had to pay tuition for seminary. So our best days were a hole-in-the-wall restaurant in Dallas. We can't even remember eating in any nice spot, even though I had a job and I had a paycheck. Why? Because we lived according to the disposable income that was available. According to doesn't always mean from. It means commensurate with, in proportion to. What God is saying through Paul is that the riches of God's divine attributes and the richness of his character and the richness of his inner being means that God is supplying the Ephesian believers and even you, dear believer, dear Christian, much more than you even need. He is supplying you according to his character and according to his attributes. He is spoiling you with strength in your inner being to do what you need in response to God's sovereign work in the universe. To say that God hasn't given us enough strength to respond to him is to say that God's character isn't deep enough. It's to say that his glory is not great enough. That his character is not enough for the commensurate supply to meet your needs. No, brothers and sisters, God's strengthening of your inner being to move forward superabounds even your greatest need. Because it is not according to your need, but according to the riches of his glory. It is not according to your weakness, but according to the depth of his attributes. The inner being here doesn't talk about the spiritual life of a believer or the soul of a believer. The inner being here talks about the focal point of your life. The very person that makes up the culmination of all the material and immaterial parts of yourself. It is what makes up your goals and aspirations, your dreams and your drivers, your will and your emotion. Whatever makes up your entire person, the focus of your life is strengthened with superabundant power. Why? To move in the direction God wants you to move to fulfill his grand plan. Commensurate with the depth of the Father's character. But what mean by what means and to what end is he doing this? Let's read verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Verse 16 mentions that the petition is that this power would strengthen the believer through what? Through his spirit. In scriptures, the Holy Spirit and power often go together. And in the new era, the new covenant, the indwelling Holy Spirit isn't an answer to prayer. You don't pray for the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
but he is a realization of a promise made long ago. He is given to every believer as a promise. In chapter 1, Paul told the Ephesian believers that when they believed, they received the Holy Spirit who was promised. Now, the promise of the Holy Spirit was never made to the Gentiles. This was the promise made to Israelites who would be partakers of the new covenant. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. But now these Gentiles, the Ephesians, and even you and I, are fellow family members and can enjoy the benefits of a covenant and promise made to the Israelites. Paul was aware of the empowerment of the Spirit in his own life and the availability of this power for the believers at Ephesus and even for us here in Peterborough. In chapter 1, we also saw a reference to the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It indicates that the same power that was required to raise Christ from the dead is the power that raises dead sinners to life in Christ. A person who is dead in sins and trespasses cannot in any way identify with chapter 3 and verse 16. Because first, the Spirit of God needs to make you alive in Christ. There are some of us sitting here who have been here for weeks on end. You've heard us bless the Father. You've heard us thank the Lord Jesus Christ for his substitutionary death on the cross. He died in our place and was raised to life by God's power. You need to be saved. You need the power of God to give you life so that you can even begin to understand the works of God. At the end of this meeting, Gary and Sharon are going to come up front. You know what I look like. You've seen some of the guys up here on stage. Jim McDonald stands out at the back. You have many points to come and talk to us in many opportunities to experience this new life in Jesus Christ. Paul here, in chapter 3 and verse 16, isn't speaking about the new life that the Spirit gives. Rather, he is saying that the same Spirit who raised us to new life is the Spirit who continues to strengthen us to act with God's ability. And it's according to the riches of God's glory. This, of course, is only available to those who have heard the gospel, responded positively to it, and have received the Holy Spirit as a result. Let's turn to verse 17. To what, to what end? The indwelling of Christ. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In the first part of 17, our Bible say, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So it looks like this is the end goal of the strengthening, right? So that God strengthens believers by the power of Christ so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. And that's true. But there's much more, and they're much more intertwined. The strength-giving ministry of the Holy Spirit is how Christ dwells in us. Let me say that again. The strength-giving ministry of the Holy Spirit is how Christ dwells in us. That's how the original languages put these two sentences together. They're intertwined. And 
Christ dwelling in, in us is accomplished by the strength giving of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit giving us strength and Christ dwelling with us are two sides of the same coin. But Paul, we'd ask, but Paul, does Christ not already live within us believers? Why are you praying that Christ would live within us? Why, why do you have to pray that the Father grants this specially, that Christ would dwell in our hearts? Paul would reply that this isn't about Christ initially coming to live in us. Rather, it's about the continual presence of Christ in the believer's life. The word here in Greek, and we've seen this before, is kat oikeo. Oikeo, residence. So kat oikeo means to dwell, to make a dwelling place, to settle down. If Christ has made our hearts his dwelling, then each one of our hearts is the residence of Christ. What do we mean by hearts? The inner life, the focus of our life, the way our, our life is pointing. Each one of our hearts is the residence of Christ. And if that is the residence of Christ, then Christ dwelling in our hearts as the day goes by is that he gets to exercise his rule over all that we are and all that we do. The indwelling of Christ is the believer conforming to the image of Christ. The indwelling of Christ is the believer conforming to the image of Christ. The believer looks more and more like Christ. Paul says that this happens by faith. It takes an act of faith to acknowledge and receive the working of the Godhead in our lives. So it isn't just justification that happens by faith. The continuous conformity to Christ's likeness happens by faith too. The fact that you are here this morning is an act of faith. You believe that gathering in obedience to God, along with the saints, to worship the Lord to remember him in the elements and to listen to his word will increase the rule of Christ over all that you are and all that you do. This is exactly the purpose of the Father for the church, that the church conforms to the image of Jesus Christ. And to that end, the triune God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son is empowering you with strength, according to the riches of his glory. God's goal for you is that you will conform to the image of Jesus Christ by faith. And how is this done? It's done by the Father granting you strength by the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on to expand on how this goal is achieved in the second half. We're going to go to our second point, love. Let's read verse 17 and 19. 17 to 19. 17, 18, 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I want to draw your attention to the fact that the 
and some of you already know what I'm going to say, that the your and the use in these verses are plural, y'alls, right? Use guys. While we think of sanctification or conforming to Christ as individual journeys, we think of sanctification as I'm being sanctified in my little corner and Jeremy's being sanctified in his little corner. The language of Ephesians 3 points to a corporate experience of being conformed to the image of Christ. We as a community, we as a church, are being conformed to the image of Christ. We are being sanctified together. The exercise of faith, therefore, is much more than just showing up on Sunday morning. The exercise of faith is related to Paul's prayer, that these believers will be rooted and grounded in love. This is a language, rooting and grounding, it's a language common in the Old Testament and in the parables. We know some parables about the seeds, and we know parables about a man who built his house on sandy land and on solid rock. Grounding is the same as establishing or having a good foundation. The word rooted speaks of having the source of their love deep in the soil of the abundant love of God. The word grounded is a verb related to building a solid foundation. It refers to how the foundation of their lives and our lives must be established on God's love. Remember God's love in chapter 2, the famous verse, but God? It's the same love that he desires that the believers would be established in. This deeper rooting and establishing in God's love will play out in chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6 of Ephesians, so I don't want to spoil anything for you. It will trickle down into personal and communal holiness. It will affect marriage. It will affect parents and children. It will affect believers during spiritual attacks from the forces that are opposed to God's word. This love is definitely an emotional experience. This love is definitely an assurance from being close to God. But it's not limited to these two things. Most important is that this love is an objective knowledge and experience that stems from God's love for us. And remember, in chapter 1 and 2, he tried to establish what God's love is. The love that made us alive in Christ. The love that united us with Christ to make us participants in his death and resurrection and ascension. It is a love that experiences, that, that unite, unites us with God's body. A love that helps us experience forgiveness of sins based on Christ's sacrifice. It is a love that is established in God's choice of us before the foundation of the world. It is a love that we, that we understand when we see all of the blessings flowing down to us from the heavenly places. And Paul's prayer is that this love of God nourishes and establishes that the, the love that we have in being conformed to Christ-likeness. Understanding what God has done establishes the love that we have. This kind of deep drawing from God's love and God's foundation does not come by means of passive church attendance. Let me say that. 
This kind of deep drawing from God's love and strong foundations does not come by means of passive church attendance. What I mean by that is this. Love takes root in the knowledge of what God has done and also in the knowledge of what he continues to do for you. We continue to have the foundations class at 9 o'clock in the morning every Sunday. Why? Because it helps us look back at the love of God and see with knowledge not just our experience and not just our emotions, but also with knowledge what this love has done for us. Knowing God's love for sinners will give us rich soil to be rooted in, a firm ground to be established upon. Furthermore, we have opportunity to experience God's love in community. Our Wednesday evening meetings in singing and prayer and our Wednesday pods in households, we've heard of multiple families also during the pandemic meeting up and supporting each other through, through those months, physically, spiritually, emotionally. These are some of the many ways God's love has been experienced in this church. These avenues, though, are not substitutes for one another, but are all ways in which the leadership here had been, has been trying to help root and ground the church in the love of God. This isn't just experience or knowledge that will help you, by the way. Having the experience and having the knowledge alone is not good enough. Paul prays for something else. He prays for strength to comprehend and grasp the boundless love of Christ. The continuous conformity to Christ gives us the strength to understand, not alone, not in isolation, definitely not on Zoom, but in community. The strength not only helps us grasp and understand the love of Christ as a church, but it also continues to conform us to the character of Christ. This love is boundless. So we need to be strengthened from God, according to his riches, to comprehend and grasp this boundless love, one that surpasses knowledge. This is the kind of love that blows our paradigms away. On Wednesday, this Wednesday that just passed, we've been studying about we've been studying about the fear of Yahweh, the fear of the Lord. So Tyler mentioned that the more familiar we are with something, the less frightening it becomes, right? The less afraid we are of it. But with the Lord, the more we know him, the more we fear him. In the same way, analogous to that, as God strengthens his people to grasp or comprehend the love of Christ, the more it surpasses knowledge. Let me say that again. The more God strengthens his people to grasp or comprehend the love of Christ, the more it surpasses knowledge. It gets bigger the more you get to know it. Now, I don't want you to think that it's the outcard with regards to knowledge. Why should I even try and understand and grasp the love of God if it's incomprehensible? What's the point? Can't I just maintain, just do what I'm doing right now? Paul's prayer, though, is that as we continue to conform to the image of Christ, we would continue to be strengthened as a community, as a church, 
to continue to comprehend the love of Christ, a love that surpasses all knowledge. What are some ways we can comprehend this love together as a church moving forward? I think, I know by now, we're quite strong at hospitality, right? Good luncheons, good meals, invitations out, right, uh, to, to one another's house. We're pretty good at charity, good giving. Perhaps, perhaps, in a season of charged political discussion, could we exercise this incomprehensible love with regards to issues of conscience? Could we love one another even if we land on different conclusions regarding the vaccine and mass? Could we exercise love in community enough to let our fellow brothers and sisters exercise their conscience? The love of Christ is incomprehensible because it is generous. It is self-sacrificial, and it seeks out the betterment of the other. That love continues to move each one of us under the Lordship of Christ. Could we perhaps think of ways we can sacrifice ourselves to move our brothers and sisters towards being rightly reconciled to Christ? to move our brothers and sisters under the lordship of Christ to fulfill God's grand plan? Our first point was conformity. God is empowering the church to fulfill his goal of conforming us to Christ's likeness. Our second point is love. God is doing this by means of strengthening us to comprehend, to grasp the love of Christ together as a church. What is his purpose in all of this? Why conform us to the likeness of Christ? Let's consider our third point, glory. Let's read verse 19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer to the Father is reaching a crescendo. Why does the church continue to conform to Christ's image? Why does the church continue to comprehend the love of Christ? It is so that the church will be filled with all the fullness of God. What does this mean? It simply means that the church, the community, the saints together, y'all, you guys, us, will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God so that we might be all that God wants us to be. That is, God wants spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is to attain to picture perfect. The character and the standard and measure of who God is. The kind of photo that God loves to look at because the image looks just like him. Since this passage is on the heels of the church as a temple, this phrase is closely related to the glory of God filling the tabernacle and Solomon's temple, if you remember those passages in the Old Testament. Paul's prayer and desire for the spiritual maturity of believers in the church is his prayer and desire that the glory of God would fill this temple. It is his desire that we would enjoy the blessings of God's presence in our midst 
and that his fame and his holy and his holiness would be carried into the world from our midst. God's glory is radiated in the earth when humans are made perfect in his image. Do you remember Genesis 1? God's glory, God's glory is not created in us. We don't have any glory of our own emanating. But as we conform to the image of Jesus Christ, God's glory is acknowledged and reflected in his picture-perfect image bearers in this world. This acquisition of a people and God's name being glorified by these people, us, leads to more glory. In a prior dispensation, people had to travel to Israel to inquire of the Lord and to see his dwelling place, right? But in this time, the dwelling of the Lord is where? In this church, on Clonsilla Avenue, when God's people gather together. So may no one ever come to Westmount Bible Chapel and leave without being impacted and affected by the glory of God as we continue to be filled with all his fullness. Paul will talk about the fullness of Christ later on, and he's even going to be talking about being filled with the Spirit in later chapters. But that's for another time. Verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The discussion of God's glory in the church naturally leads to doxology in verses 20 and 21. We might not realize it, but these two verses actually close out a major passage. Do you remember Ephesians 1.3 when he says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? These two verses close that entire discussion out. He declares that God the Father is to be blessed. And the glory of God is now, in this verse, to be seen where? In the church, more so, also in the temple building work of the church. Do you remember the song we just sang, Speak, O Lord? It talked about how we continue to build God's temple. Because God's glory isn't just a static thing. It's seen when his grand plan is being executed. As participants in this grand plan, God's glory is not only seen in our exaltation or worship, it's not only seen in our edification or our love, but it's also seen in our evangelism. We continue the mission, the body partnering with the head and reflecting the head. This means as the church expands and the gospel is proclaimed in the power of the Spirit, the temple of the Lord continues to grow. The glory of the Lord continues to extend extend wherever Christ's body gathers and the temple is built. Every church, every local church, is an embassy that flies the flag of the Father and glorifies him in this world and in the heavenly places. This also means that the holiness of Christ, the blamelessness of Christ, the spotlessness of Christ, and if we could invent a word, the wrinklelessness of Christ, is to be the holiness of the church, 
the blamelessness of the church, the spotlessness of the church, and the wrinklelessness of the church as we continue to be conformed to his image. The Father grants the power to be Christ-like in proportion to the riches of his character. And how do we respond? We respond to glorify him by being conformed to the image of Christ. And this is how the Father is glorified in the church and in Jesus Christ. All this is leading to the consummation, the reconciliation, the subjection of all things to the authority of Christ. And the church, his body, leads the way by being conformed to his image. This has glorified God for the past 2,000 years, and it will continue to glorify God forever through his trophies of mercy and grace for all eternity, especially the world to come, the world with no end. Paul's prayer was that God would grant strength so that the church would be conformed to the image of Christ. God strengthens the church to comprehend the love of Christ and so continue to be conformed to the image of Christ. God's purpose in all this is so that he would be glorified in Christ and the church. That reflects Christ's image from, for all the time to come. Conformity, love, glory. So, Jerry, what do I do for the week ahead now that I've heard this text? Our application. In the week ahead, for the next seven days, look for opportunities to love like Christ. There are opportunities to continue loving his body here. There are opportunities to evangelize right here in Peterborough. Comprehending the love of Christ as a community self-sacrificially will move us forward in establishing Christ's rule in our inner being, in our inner being, and so give God glory here in Peterborough, in Lindsay, in Omimi, in Norwood, and for some of us, even in London, Ontario, right? God can strengthen you abundantly, more than you can even ask or think. So respond in loving like Christ, so that you look more like God's picture-perfect son. You know, the one whose image he loves looking at over and over again? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. And as you have given us strength, you've also said that you have granted us more than we could ask or think. So Lord, even our beginning to grasp or ask you for strength to look more like your son and do your works, shows us that we don't even know what we should be asking you according to your capabilities and riches. But as your word has revealed, Lord, may we as your people shine your glory through our exaltation, through our edification, through our evangelism, all deeply rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, strengthened by the power of your Spirit, And may we look more like your son to give you honor and glory in this world and in the age to come. In Jesus' name, amen.